Welcome to episode 58 of the Becoming Human podcast. What makes somebody commit atrocities and how do we handle them as that as a species? This question at once fascinates me and causes me to shudder. My pal Andrew Dodge interviews criminals of all backgrounds and auctions their artwork and artifacts. Andrew has a genuine curiosity to observe the macabre and is often misunderstood. Looking past any assumptions and you'll see a curious and thought-provoking fellow. You can check him out at truecrimeauctionhouse.com. In the middle of the episode, <laughs> missionaries knocked at the door. And I decided to bring them on the podcast. I was curious to see if what their thoughts were on, um, <laughs> on criminals, um, the curiosity of criminals, and just who they were. They're really nice people. Uh, you can check them out um, on Facebook. It's Bryce Wolf, W-O-L-F-E. Um, and check out LDS.org uh, for the Church of Latter-day Saints. <laughs> this is probably one of the trippiest podcasts I've done to date. So enjoy. What prohibits you in your hardest moments from doing those things that you dream of doing? Motivation, to be honest. What is what is what, but what does the lack of motivation look like? Because I mean, is it anxiety? Is it I don't want to get up? Like, explain it's, it. It's, I guess it's a little bit of both. Like, I guess anxiety mixed with boredom, mixed with um, I don't even know that. Like, just like not wanting to do anything. Like, it's. I guess it I guess it is like part of anxiety, but I'm just like so used to the same routine over and over. But I've been breaking that because I finally learned the definition of insanity, repeating the same thing over and over, mm-hmm. but expecting different results. And I looked at that and I was like, that's what I've been doing lately. Like, no wonder I'm so like bored and like, you know, like, w- like when is shit going to change? But then I'm like, shit's not going to change unless I make it change. When you start something new, let's say it's running or uh, painting, I don't know, some interest you pick up, uh, what do you do? Do you, for example, do you try to go as hard as possible and, you know, like set really high expectations, um, like going too many days or something of that sort? Or what does it look like to you? Well, at first, like when I was doing the running and stuff last summer, I just, I was like, go harder, go home, but... What I do is increments, like, I I learned, like, because last summer when we did the 5K and stuff, like, I just put all, my all in it, and then I kind of got burnt out. I was like, I can't use all of my energy in, like, a, even, like, a split hour or whatever, you know, <laughs> like, I need, to, I need to space it out. Like, mm-hmm. I can't put 100% of my, like, emotional, physical you know, whatever energy into something, like, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, like, slowly do it, you know, because if mm-hmm. I, if I put my all into something, I'm just gonna crash and burn, and, like, whether, whether I'm into it or not, like, eventually it's gonna get boring or mm-hmm. repetitive, and I gotta switch shit up every once in a while. Has something ever got boring and repetitive for you, and that is why you stopped doing it? Yeah, like, that was the, the running, like, I was mm-hmm. doing it every day, and I was, like, as much as I love this, like, I'm just tired of doing this but what do you what aspects of it did you love the like the euphoric like you know the runner high like Mm -hmm. the sweat the sweat like you know running off your face and your body and like just feeling like like a 
like a like a good feeling, like a the feeling you like a feeling you get, you know, like when you're in like you you get like an an A on your test or something mm-hmm. like you know. Yeah. Like, like as soon as that last step when you're done running, you're just like, fuck, I just I did this. Like mm-hmm. I I may have stopped once or twice, but I did it with minimal stopping or you know, like it's did did you set goals uh, when like do you set goals really well when you approach something new or yeah, do you struggle I mean, with that? I, yeah, I, I have to or else I'm gonna crash and burn. Like, yeah, like with um, like with the gym, like when I was when I was starting to work out, like okay, I'm gonna start once a week for two weeks. After that, I'm gonna do two twice a week, and then after that, three times a week, and I'm gonna stick to that regimen. But I I have to do like baby steps to work up to what's considered normal or going beyond what I am comfortable with. Do you ever think the pr- the um, the pressure of trying to achieve what is considered normal um, can sometimes ruin the experience for you? Yeah, I mean, sometimes, but but <laughs> normal, I don't really know what that is anymore. So, it's like, because... Do you, do you on, like, on impulse, do you believe, like, in your heart of hearts that normal or your effort is relative or do you believe that you need to meet a specific standard whatever that may be i don't feel like i need to meet the specific standard i feel like i want to but at the same time i need to in certain situations like Mm -hmm. um uh like i'm trying to think of like like for hiking for instance mm-hmm. you know I'll go hiking and be like okay this is six miles there and back like do not put do not you know just try to like bust this out because you're mm-hmm. gonna get tired you know half a mile in so mm-hmm. I'll just you know walk like and enjoy it I know some people like I know you'll run it but I mean you've been doing it while and like I'll just, I'll just I'll just walk mm-hmm. you know I'll walk you know like hike and I'll like once I'm halfway done or halfway to the top, that's when I'll start, you know, speed walking or whatever, mm-hmm. put my all into it, and then. But if I'm, if I'm more than like halfway done with something, I feel like I can put my all into it, and it be like a success. But if I'm less than fifty percent there, or accomplished, you know, it's like I put my all into it, and I just, it's like I crash and burn, and mm-hmm. like uh, let's just, I'll just do this another day. See, my standard of pro- of, a, of approach is different. And and that's why I think getting caught up in um, self-imposed expectations, in the sense of trying to meet the standard of the perceived standard of you know the people around you, right? Or like uh, like Cameron Haynes or like a runner that's well known, right? Um, is a distraction from from the real fun. Right. What I argue is is just what you said about the euphoria um, when you get like an A on the test. If I were to say, this is putting it very bluntly, if I were to say there are five sensations that I can experience, that I've experienced in life, that there are only five, mm-hmm. and at any given time I'll experience one of five, or just meh. Yeah, yeah. Then when I started running, among other things, I real I all of a sudden knew more sensations. Does that yeah. make sense? Like, yeah, I, like, like you learn more nuances about like yourself. You, you were open, you were... Your eyes were open to something that you didn't know existed until mm-hmm. it actually hit you. Yeah, like you didn't like instead of it just being blue and green. Now you see like turquoise, sea right, foam, but right. you feel that. 
Right. I, I, yeah, I do feel, I mean, like, like when I started running, you know, like I was just like, okay, this is, all I do is pick my feet up and run, mm -hmm. but I didn't realize, you know, like, I'll be damn near half dead, you know, by the end of it, and, like, my fight or flight mechanism kicks in, like, you know, like, quit being, like, a bitch or whatever, you know, just, mm -hmm. just finish this, you know, you got this, and as soon as, you know, the, the finish line hits or whatever, you know, or, or whatever, whenever you're done, like, instead of just being overly tired and exhausted, I'm just like, okay, this mm -hmm. is cool, like, I'm glad I'm done, and I'm, I can't look, I, I, I look forward to do it again and again and again. And mm -hmm. So what is that? Do you lose sight of that after you've done the thing when you're like chilling and you're smoking a bowl or some some? Mm, not really. I well, I mean, I definitely more like reflect on it. You know, I'm just like, damn, I just did that. You know, and whether I'm like sober or like you know high, and I'm just you know thinking about it. But I just it's kind of it's kind of like how like I mean I've never done like hard drugs but you know how they say a junkie you know the first that first hit of heroin or whatever you know um you get that you get that high and you're chasing that high again and you never get it like mm -hmm. i'm chasing that high of whether it's running or hiking like i want i want that i want that high you know where it's you just feel so good and you feel like you could fly or do whatever at that moment in time that's my argument is that you we have a game or a cycle where it is like action and reward yeah or no not i wouldn't say Risk that and reward. Yeah, or no action action and consequence there's a chemical consequence to all of our actions whether it's like uh, i bomb when i do a comedy set and then i feel like you know i feel like shit there's right and it triggers a hormonal response um and then when you do something like you run a new amount of miles or a new pr or something of that sort you've achieved something that that is you know relative to what you want and then you trigger a hormonal response and drugs do the same thing and like i love mushrooms acid um th those give me refreshing perspectives on my life from time to time yeah and in microdosing it enhances some of my abilities for um for a higher level of performance i, I mean like weed's really good for reflection uh there's all these these benefits to it but what happens let's take the, let's take drugs out of the picture because obviously you know like everyone has knows a tweaker or junkie right, and right. who overuses a substance or even an alcoholic right um and to their detriment or to where they're they're breaking down mentally or physically um but let's look at running so if i were to run all the time and then i rolled my ankle and i out of fear or um not wanting to sit still mm -hmm. i decided to continue to run at my detriment right. and i'm hurting myself and i'm chasing this pleasure despite the pain that it's causing me or if you so hyper focus on it you throw all of your emotions into it you lash out at people for disrupting your your focus and then you don't you stop attending family things like i i think it's always a problem of overrunning your life and on high level performance um the nah the uh, psychological aspect. Oh, no. Are you guys recording? Yeah, I do a podcast. Do you really? Yeah. I was like, dang, if you guys rap or something, I wanted to hear. Yeah, absolutely, man. <laughs> like, can we hear something? Yeah. Oh, what? Oh, it's not rap. We just do a podcast. Oh, I podcast people all the way across the world, pretty much. Oh,
Just on, yeah, a variety of different things. You're trying to have the Mormon speech on there? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> like, got, I, want, I won't throw too much doctors, but like, yo, we got the Mormons here. I'm like, what's up, guys? Yeah. <laughs> Are you down? Oh, dude. That would be tight. Yeah, sure. I'll just do it. Yeah. All right, everybody. You guys want to introduce yourselves? Yeah, sure. Okay. Hello, I'm Mother Wolf, a missionary from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I'm Mother Hatch. I'm as well a missionary for the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints, straight from AZ. As well. Represent. Perfect. And then Andrew, you want to introduce yourself Yeah, too? I'm Andrew Dodge. Uh, I'm the sole proprietor of True Crime Auction House. We specialize in what we like to call murderabilia, items related to the dark world of infamous criminals uh, as well as specializing in taxidermy oddities, wet specimens, etc, etc. Wet specimens? Wet specimens. What? Basically dead animals in jars with liquid in it. Oh, there's like half of me that says it's really cool and the other half of me gets really squeamish right, over right. it. Right, It's either you're into it yeah. <laughs> uh, and then if you want, you can just pull that mic up just a little bit yeah, closer yeah. to you, and then you should. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. There we go. All right. So, what what made you guys want to be missionaries? Like, like I'd love to hear about that. Yeah. Great question. Well, I'd love to answer that for you. <laughs> nah. I don't know. It it kind of goes back. I was raised in the the religion. Um, and it was just, it was kind of my own spiritual journey, you could so say. I, I definitely knew that God was there. He loved me, and I wasn't, you know, as outgoing as I am now, of course, in the religion. But it got to a point where this, you know, as missionaries for the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints, we come out and we go for two years. You leave your families. You're not paid. Um, you actually pay to be out here. Oh. And so it got to a point where I was like, wow, if I'm really going to do this, I really need to do this. And I need to figure out if, you know, these things are real, if they're fake. Um, I need to do some research into it. So I did so. I prayed, and God gave my answer. And long story short, that's why I'm here, because God told me to come, and here I am. Oh, okay. How about you? Yeah, so so I definitely, as Elder Wolf was saying, I, I definitely wanted to figure out for myself. I grew up as well in the church, and and I, I drew a, you know, a line in the sand, and I said, which side do I want to be on? And and I figured out. I put the. They said, read the Book of Mormon, read the Bible, find out. You know, if if you know Jesus Christ, if He still lives, if, if these things what you've been taught are true, put them to the test. And we're able to find out. And so, you know, what better way to spend two years of your life sharing it with others? That's really cool. Did you guys have uh, some some value of service before doing something like this, or did you learn it through the process of, of going on a mission? Yeah, you know, in my home, I was always raised up. My dad just taught me to work. You know, you go, if, if someone needs help, you, you know, you pull on the side of the road, you're helping. And mm-hmm. that was kind of something that I just learned from being in the home, looking after my dad, him helping me out through that. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Yeah? Yeah, definitely, definitely through example mm-hmm. as well. You know, having that, that role model. Yeah. How about you with throughout your service? Because you actually work within, like, uh, you help disabled individuals and doing what you do with talking to people like the serial killers and stuff like that. Like, like how does that fit in? Have you always had a desire to help people or understand people? Yeah, like, I've always had a desire to help people and the whole thing with the serial killers and whatnot. People, you know, I, I believe in humanization at the end of the day, whether somebody's, you know, like we've spoken in the past, you know, somebody shouldn't be defined on one day, you know, one week, one bad year, you know, like it's, maybe it's just me, but I find humanization in all walks of life and whether somebody's done something atrocious or, you know, whatnot, I mean, obviously they deserve 
to be where they are, but at the same time, you know, there is compassion and humanization in these monsters, as the media likes to call them, and I've picked up on a lot of that, and even just spending 15 minutes on the phone with, you know, them is, makes their day, and, you know, people just lock these guys up and forget about them 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years go by, and nobody seems to care, and or if they do care, they just sweep them under the rug, and it's kind of like a... I don't know. It's it, it's it's compassion on my part, and a, a lot a lot of people might and do give me shit about that. You know, I mean, being obviously these people have ruined countless lives, and I I can understand it from both sides. You know, so I try. I I mean, I'm I'm open about open-minded about a lot of things, and you know, I mean, obviously I defriend serial killers. You know, so it's kind of hard to judge people. You know, on a day-to-day basis. So. So with people who have made those decisions and are at those points in their lives, how do you guys interpret that? And is there redemption on that, or when does someone become beyond redemption? Uh, good question. There is no point that, or I guess I guess a more accurate answer would be is there's nothing that the atonement of Jesus Christ cannot heal, or there's nothing someone can commit and not be forgiven of. And so that's something that is very powerful and very heartwarming. And then for your other question, you know, I guess what is our reaction for those types of individuals? You know, we welcome them. We do everything we can to help them and to help them continue to have peace and love within their life. You know, we turn them to this, our Savior, Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. who, who which gives us lots of peace when a lot of the times there isn't any peace. And it's, it's really cool to hear a lot of these people's stories and working with them and seeing them grow with their potential because they've seen all aspects of life. Mm-hmm. And with them seeing, you know, the negative and also the positive, they have that awesome contrary to go back and forth and they can really give a powerful testimony of their life without religion, their life when they came to found Christ. Mm-hmm. And um, I've seen something inter- similar play out in the wake of um, the lack of compassion. And it's very hard for me because these people who make these choices make me very squeamish. And to muster any sort of compassion, um, I feel dirty, dingy. I I, I feel wrong in that sense. However, there's um, another side of me that that I see this, that, like, no, this is a person that, you know, started either from me or from a harder place than me. And it may be even easier. And just left and right turns, and then there they are. Um, And so that kind of battles within me. However, I've heard a story recounted where, a pedophile um, he's had urges to uh, have sex with children and he's never acted on them he's an adult, he has his own daughter and he says that he can't talk to anybody about this because if he talks to people about it, if he talks to his psychologist or psychiatrist, right, they're going to immediately ostracize him. Uh, CPS will start to investigate because you have to uh, talk about that information or, you know, discuss it. It's just like if you were going to say you're going to commit suicide, they have to alert the authorities in some manner. And if you were to talk to your, talk to your friends about it, like, you know, I have these, these impulses. I have not acted on them. I don't want to act on them. This is insane. Like, I wouldn't want to touch my children or my friend's children. Um, But the minute that you would tell your friends, (laughs) good luck. And then having all of that hidden inside, like, I'm not focusing on the shame so much. I don't think that's kind of important, but not as much. Um, What's more is is that the more that people talk about these things, you start to learn from other people's experience how to cope. And my experience with uh, illicit or... hmm, ill behavior or destructive behavior is not that I can get to a point where I don't have that behavior like mm, I would like to beat the shit out of the guy that cuts me off in traffic right Um, I have the impulse 
I would like to hurt that person. And then I then have the thought that is immoral and that is wrong and they do not deserve that because you've acted as such. And who knows if that was on purpose. Like I start rationalizing after the fact. And so is it that some is it that you can teach someone to cope with their impulses and that's all we ever do like that's why you don't yell at me when I offend you or something like that right like you would just say hey that's offensive yeah like is it that you are moral because you lack those impulses or do you impose morality after those impulses before you act on them and so is it a matter of just teaching people like I teach a child like you don't bite me because you're mad you oh I'm mad go and you know go be alone calm down and then come back mm-hmm. like and and that's where i see the compassion and yeah in the community aspects it's been helpful has religion been helpful to people in um in these circumstances have you seen this well let's see i there's a funny thing about that and um I hate to sound stereotypical, but a lot of people that aren't religious or are, you know, somewhat religious before they go to prison, a lot of the time, you know, a lot of people go to prison and do find God or Jesus or Allah, whatever your religion or preference is. And um, I was just talking to uh, an inmate about this, you know, right before I got here, actually. And um, I mean, I don't know. It's... I mean, you have a lot of time in prison, you know, there's, you know, they hand out Bibles like candy, you know, and it's a good thing in a sense, you know, like, I mean, everybody's got to have something to cope with and whether they're genuine or not, you know, who knows? I mean, you can really not, never tell with a psychopath and manipulative liar, but um, I mean, it's, I, I do, I do notice a pattern of, you know, people in prison that find God or you know, whatever it may be, and, I mean, to each their own, you know, that's cool, and, you know, whatever, you know, gets them by, and, you know, gets them through their life, especially, you know, things that they may regret, and whatnot, I mean, it's, but, it's, it's definitely a pattern, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I'm, I hate to say, you know, it's like, it, it's, it's convenient, you know, to find God when you're in prison, but at the same time, who knows, maybe it was, if there is a God, I mean, I'm, I'm an atheist, I admit that, and I, I mean, who knows, maybe they do find God or some type of forgiveness in prison or whatever, you know, and I don't know, I, it's, it's, it's definitely interesting to me, and it's always interesting to talk to people that have found God in prison or born-again Christians or whatever the new age term is for that kind of stuff. In your guys' explicit experience... What values of religion do you guys cherish? Such community or um, maybe even confidence, something of that aspect. Like, if you could name three, what would be something that you cherish or get from religion? And, yeah. Good question. Hmm. Putting some good thought into this. Three, three. You said you want, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Three. Okay. Um, yeah. For for me personally, this is different for everybody. Obviously, for me personally, knowing knowing that there is a God, having that belief, and and finding out for yourself. For me personally, it gives me confidence. Um, you know, it gives me confidence, um, hope. 
and and I would say definitely it, it gives me a purpose. You know, it gives me it gives me a purpose to life. You know, I, I I've gained a personal testimony. Everyone has their own beliefs, so I respect all. Um, but I think I think it's pretty unique that that when you go to jail, that they hand you out Bibles like candy, and Book of Mormon. You know, just scriptures, you know, Word of God, because they're humbled, they're ready. You know, they, they're at their lowest point. They need something, and, and truly, only God is gonna gonna bring them further, bring them closer. He's ready for them. He's opened with with his hands wide open towards us. And sometimes we're we're caught in the worldly things, mm-hmm. and we're we're not ready to know about God, or we're we're you know it takes us to be humbled mm-hmm. first. Mm-hmm. But but that's that was my thoughts. And, and do you guys believe that that you can never or could you open up somebody to God, or do they have to come on their own? I just want to clarify. Yeah, no, definitely. I think I think it's a two way. Mm-hmm. I think their their hearts have to be to be opened, and they have to have that desire as well. And, and definitely it helps to have a guide. It helps to have somebody somebody to introduce you to God as well. You know, it's it's not like it's just going to magically appear. I mean, we could we could be feeling, you know, the spirit. We could be feeling those good feelings. But it takes somebody to let us know that what it is. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, I've experienced that with, with imposing my ideas on someone and wishing the best for them. Mm-hmm. So doing what I thought was best, right? And specifically with addicts, I'd see someone struggling with addiction, and I'm like, well, if you do this and that, you know, for me it wasn't tied to religion necessarily. It was like find something um, to obsess over, um, and you can build your character from there, like through through whatever that may be, even through through religion mm-hmm. or through painting, right? You figure out like, okay, effort, results, and then this is what my style is, this is my personality, and you start to get fulfillment from it. And that will allow you to transcend the the cycle the suffering the game that you play with your own self um however i at one point would force someone uh i was married my ex-wife would be an example and then even friends Mm -hmm. and uh, not literally forceful but it was like you know you should do this and then i'd go out of my way to establish those for them I'd be like, I signed you up for a class, you know, let's go, I'm taking you. And then it, I would constantly entangle myself into their cycle, and what that would do would be a detriment to my own self, because mm-hmm. it would cause me suffering, and then it would increase their yeah. suffering, and I was the object of their suffering now. And you, like, you can't, in my experience, all I could do was wait for them to be ready mm-hmm. if they happened to ask me, and just always have the door unlocked, not yeah. opening the door for them, you know. And, yeah, and do you, when you have people who, who um, are riding a crazy train in the sense that they believe that everything that they were doing is right and, like, you know, right, um, how do you battle with that? Like, do you, do you battle with that, or do you, are you a casual observer? I, I, I don't criticize you. No, I do, because, there, I mean, it's, I mean, it's a very small percentage, but there still are guys and females, you know, that believe what they did is uh, there's some type of good. Uh, for instance, I talked to a guy when he was 16. He had uh, killed a woman and took her car. And when he when he got to prison, he uh, strangled this pedophile that was about to get out. He was in there for raping a little boy. And he was bragging about when he gets out, you know, he's going to do it again. So this guy did it. And, he's you know, he's like, um, you know, I would do it over and over and over again. And I feel like I was put on this earth to rid the world of evil of, you know, people that 
are detriments to society and, you know, are basically ruining our youth by, you know, molesting and raping these innocent kids. And, you know, I, I always tell them, you know, like, I, I can... I can respect your opinion. I may not agree with it, but you know, to each their own. You know, I'm. It's. I mean, it's. It's always. You never know what you're going to get, especially you know, with these types of people, whether it's mental illness or just egos or flat out. You know, they're just evil people, and evil does exist. I've I've looked evil in the face time and time and time after again, and it's a scary, scary sight. So how do you feel about how it's handled within our own prison systems now? In regards to... In regard in regards to, uh, A, people who appear to be so far gone that they're, like, psychotic, for instance, um, or like a Charles Manson, right? Where, like, a lot of the things, obviously, is just so askew, there's no real starting place. Um how would you how do you handle that do you, do you put someone in a um, metaphorical box so that they cannot act on on their thoughts and actions until they can live out their life well i'm kind of conflicted on that because it just it just depends to me like if if there's a inmate you know or or patient whether it's a mental hospital or prison i don't feel like locking them up and throwing away the key is the answer I mean, you know, whether you've given them, you know, inmates make, I think, like 32 cents an hour before taxes or something like that, whether you, you give them a job, whether it's taking the trash out, um, you know, mopping the tear, whatever it may be, if you give them freedoms of some sort, um, you know, to, you know, be able to go in and out their cell and whether they can interact with other inmates and even if it's just watching a TV program like every day, you know, rather than just being confined to a cell. I mean, I don't care if you put myself, yourself, anybody in a cell 23 hours a day with very dim lights and you can flush your toilet once an hour. Like, that's going to drive anybody insane. And um, I feel like, you know, the humanization part is, is something that we definitely need to do. Because, like, like, one guy was telling me, you know, they lock us up 23 hours a day. You know they're they're complete dicks to us, whether we deserve it or not. You know, what do they what do they expect us to do? The monster's going to come out at us. You know, we're going to be violent towards the other inmates and staff. And if you think about it, in a sense, like you you treat you treat an animal like an animal, you're going to get an animal. You're not going to get a you treat a human like an, a human being like an animal. You're not going to get a well respected, well mannered human being. I mean, it's just how how it works. You know, if if I put you in a cell 23 hours a day and feed you three meals a day and you shower two, three times a week, you're going to be, you know, a pretty pissed off individual and lash out at any chance you can get. That's ironic. I'm thinking about my son. Like, if he yells at me and if I get entangled, I yell back, which I don't. Um, my son's mom, on the other hand, she kind of struggles a little bit, but teach her on. I'm just calm naturally, so works in my favor. Um, but when you do that, you start to escalate the little situation. You even think of couples, right? Like husband and a wife. I don't know. Some, one yells at the other, and then the other yells back, just escalating. I even think, like, when he does something bad, I used to have the approach of, like, all right, go to your room. Um, go on timeout. You know, you can't, you can't do that. Uh, go away. And 
then I'd kind of like bag on him in the sense that like that's really bad like before he'd go on timeout I'm like you did a horrible thing and you need to go in there and reconsider all this I put all this like negative pressure on it and then he would escalate back he'd volley the volleyball back to me and then I'd hit it back and he'd go higher and higher and higher every time and it was at our own destruction because now I harbor these negative feelings towards him and he harbors these negative feelings towards me and well, the moment that made it easier as a parent was when I started wondering, okay, why are you getting mad in the first place? And I mean, as a child, you can argue that he's not, at some points, he's not intelligible enough to even be um, on my level consciously. Like, I can't be like, why do you feel angry? Tell me all of the things that have been bothering you for the many years. Like, the, So I have to like intuitively kind of like feel it out and guide him there and and just understand through observation, not through literal feedback. Mm -hmm. And from that, it was like, okay, you're angry. I'm going to walk you through breathing. Like, you've got this all wrong, child. When you feel the feeling of anger, that impulse of anger, right, Um, or the emotion, um, the first action is not to raise your voice. That's that's actually the, the bad one. Or, you know, when when you're, when you're desiring some sense of, like, uh, I don't know, adrenaline rush, uh, um, some sort of satisfaction, some feeling of accomplishment, maybe something really hard, which would be a really scary thing. You can think of stealing, right? Like, the adrenaline rush of that. Like, that may, or robbing a bank, that'd be really hard. I mean, good on you if you can get through all of those safe, or all those measures and make it out alive. Like, whoa, you've accomplished something relatively. Um, however, you can redirect it, I would imagine. I mean, not psychosis, but right. you could redirect other individuals to where you map that same pattern of behavior onto the positive things. Because it's just a game, I mean, in the end. Like, like it, just doing something well to elicit some tor- type of reaction. And I imagine even on a religious level, if you do something well, as in you become more engrossed in the community, you get oxytocin, you know, the, the chemical that gets released from, like, touch or from being around people, for instance, and it makes you feel more a part of the community. And that's, like, integral to fulfillment. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Um, I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> oh, so <laughs> with, with individual, like you were talking about the death penalty, right? And, and how you have some contentions with the death penalty. Yeah, wow. well, I used to be for it, you know, like back back before I even knew what you know what these guys went through. Like the very first time I visited a prison, it wasn't death row. It was it was here in Washington? I think it was a uh, Monroe Correctional Complex and. The, just the living conditions, even there was like a, I think, medium, minimum to medium security, and just the conditions they have to live through, you know, and uh, that that wasn't so bad, but when I visited Texas, you know, at the time, they had no AC, and you know how hot it gets in Texas, and <laughs> oh, there, yeah. there's oh. inmates that have died from heat stroke, Chilly. and Whoa. Uh, you know, dehydration, and just seeing the conditions they live in, like the, the guy we were visiting, he gets one shower a week, you know, and being, you know, and he's very malnourished. They get three sack lunches a day, um, you know, seven days a week. And I don't know, it, it just opened my eyes to it. You know, I used to view, you know, inmates as like, that, like not human beings, which a lot of people view them as, you know, like, you know, mm-hmm. these guys just need to be locked away and never be, you know, seen or heard from again. And you actually speak to some of them, and as creepy as it may be, you know, you find things that you have common with them, and as weird as it may be, you know, it's like, 
we listen to the same music, watch the same TV shows, like we even visited the same cities and states. And I don't know. It, it, it gave me a whole perspective on the death penalty, and and I, yeah, I could go on and on all day about that because it's a subject that I'm like really passionate about now. And before you guys have to leave, just one last thing. Yeah. What are your thoughts on the death penalty? <laughs> <laughs> well, we uh, we can't talk any any politics as yeah, missionaries, yeah. but. It's uh, as in I guess. What are your thoughts? Would this still be counted as politics? What are your thoughts for taking somebody's life if they were to cross a specific line? Like an eye for an eye kind of thing. Yeah. Like yeah. Personal belief. Yeah, it's it would still be counted as politics, uh, where be. you know nothing we say is officially authorized by the church, yeah, exactly. and and it's personal you know opinion as to the life of Elder Wolf or mm-hmm. you know Elder Hatch on the other hand. But yeah. Yeah. Alright, well, do you, is there anywhere that you, um, people can check out you guys? Yeah, yeah, we're we're on Facebook, uh, Bryce Wolf, B-R-Y-C-E-W-O-L-F-E, and I post different religious stuff all the time, and as well, a general, you know, website to check out any church information is just LDS.org. LDS.org, cool. Yeah. My audience is pretty open-minded, too, so you guys nice. Nice. pretty good feedback on that. Sweet. Oh, Come on, cool. I appreciate you guys' time. I know this might have been a little bit hard to sit through, but... <laughs> I, I was I'm cool. dancing around. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Keep us on our toes. Yeah, thank you, guys. I appreciate cool. it. <laughs> All right, sweet. Woo! That was... Woo! That was a lot of fun. I'm happy to be back. I mean, it's, it's been a month, so I took a little bit of a hiatus because... I wanted to enjoy some time with my son and reconsider my approach to not only podcasting, but just my life in general. I really like taking a step back from time to time to reevaluate things. I'm afraid of being caught into ruts that, or not ruts, rather grooves that I truly don't want to be in, that I'm in by mere reaction or monotony you can go over to the website we got hats now um it's a sale hat it's like a a heart using a brain as a parachute to sail off into the mountains Um, just some ideas i've been kicking around i've been really enjoying drawing lately and i figured i might as well share that in the form of like you know wearables clothing a little more fun than a canvas or just doing you know prints but yeah